What's the world coming to? Is that a question that maybe you've asked at some point over the past month and a half? I'm sure, I'm sure you have. I know I have. Um, and I think that's probably a valid question uh, with all of the events that have, have unfolded, all of the challenges that we've faced. Um, but uh, I think maybe, at least for this morning, I think every day, uh, there's another question that we should ask. And that is, what is coming to the world? Or better yet, who is coming to the world? Uh, we are going to look at that this morning. We're going to answer that question. Uh, we are in the last installment of our doctrinal series that we've been in for uh, the past. This is week 10. Uh, we've looked at the basic doctrines of our faith. Uh, we call it basic training, preparing to defend our faith. And so we've, we've covered a lot of ground, and we finished today with the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's what I mean by the question of who is coming to the world, because he has promised to return. And we're going to look at what that means. You know, this has been, uh, it has, for the, the, the length of Christianity, been a controversial doctrine. You have people that basically fall on uh, two sides in the area of controversy, some that try to predict the exact date and time of Jesus' return, uh, that, that uh, spend a lot of time and a lot of efforts trying to predict that, that moment. The problem with that is uh, the Bible tells us that no man knows the hour of Jesus' return. And this isn't anything new. I mean, in, in recent years, uh, we've seen examples of that, people predicting that as early as 999 A.D., at the end of the first century, the first millennium, uh, there, there was a group that predicted that Jesus would return at the end of that millennium. Of course, they were wrong. Uh, in 1843, there was another group uh, under the leadership of William Miller that predicted that the end of the world would come. They actually uh, get, got, gathered together and put on what they called their ascension robes and waited for Christ's return on the day and the hour. They thought that would happen, and it never came because, again, the Bible says no man knows the hour. And then on the other end of the, the spectrum, you have those that ignore it completely, and they give no thought or no time to when Christ will return. And the same is true for them. The Bible says no man knows the hour that Jesus will return, so we need to be prepared. So there are both ends of that, outside of the church, inside the church, you have the same thing. You have some preachers that, that seems like all they do is preach about the end times and trying to look at the signs of the times and trying to predict when Jesus will return. And I think, you know, you can go too far that way, but then there are others who avoid the subject altogether and they never preach about it. They never talk about it. Um, and again, both ends of that are a mistake. I don't think it's correct to avoid it, and I don't think it's correct to spend all your time trying to predict when it will happen. But we do know that it will happen, and so we do need to give some time to it and some thought and some study into what the end times will look like and, and when Jesus will return and being prepared primarily. And so this morning, that's, that's what we're going to look, like, look at. You know, our, our, our purpose today really isn't to push a position 
premillennialism or amillennialism or, or, or something like that. I mean, that, that's not my intent today, although I do have a, a, an opinion on that, and that'll probably come through as we go through our study today. Uh, but my purpose isn't to push a position. My purpose is to look at the fact, to enunciate clearly some of the Bible teachings about the fact of Jesus' return, that he will return. There's a lot we don't know, but there's a lot we do know. And so let's walk through this together, and hopefully all of us will gain a better understanding of Jesus' return. Also, though, we will be motivated, hopefully, to make sure we're prepared for Jesus' return. So first, let's look at the certainty of his coming. We're talking about the facts of Jesus' return. Let's look then first at the certainty of Christ's return. Because we do know, without a shadow of a doubt, that he will return. That's clear in Scripture. That's clear in his teachings, but also the, uh, the teachings uh, of other New Testament writers. We see throughout the Bible, we see the promise of his coming and then the promise of his return. So, so let's look at four areas where we find concrete evidence that Jesus is coming again, that show us the certainty or back up the certainty of his return. For one thing, we know that the return of Christ is announced by the angels. When you look back at the first coming of Jesus when he was born and, and he came to earth, we know that that was announced by the angels. We see in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, the angel told her, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Then the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. We can see there the first coming of Christ announced. We see it foretold uh, in the, the Old Testament. And then when you look at how Jesus came, the announcement of the angels, you see that he came exactly as the prophet said he was and as the angel announced that he would. So the first coming of Jesus is announced, and then in the same way, the second coming of Christ is announced uh, by the angels. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, after Jesus, uh, he ascended into heaven. So his death, his burial, his resurrection, he stayed on earth. He appeared to many people, and then he ascended into heaven. Everybody's standing around looking at the sky where they had just seen Jesus. An angel appears, and in Acts 1, verse 11, they said, the angel said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going to heaven. And so for the disciples, for the followers of Christ, primarily the, the disciples who would begin the church, who were preparing to evangelize the world, to go and make disciples as Jesus had commanded them to do, the promise of his return would have been a great source of hope and encouragement to them. The same should be true for us. Just as Jesus' birth was announced and it came true, now we have his second coming announced, and we can believe that it will be true. So in the midst of 
the world that we live in, the challenges of life, we can be comforted by the fact that Jesus will come again and take us to be with him. For those of us who know him as Savior, that's the promise that we have. So we have his second coming announced by the angels. It is also acknowledged by the Lord's Supper. This is another uh, affirmation. This is another reason we can know that the, the second coming of Christ is certain. When you think about the Lord's Supper, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is, yes, to look back and remember what Jesus did on the cross. We celebrated the Lord's Supper a few weeks ago in our homes. And in doing so, we look back at what Jesus did on the cross. We remember his sacrifice. Uh, We praise him and we thank him for that sacrifice. We are preaching a sermon, a visual sermon on what Jesus did. Salvation. But we're also looking forward, as we practice the Lord's Supper, we are looking forward to the day that he will return. When Paul gave instructions about the Lord's Supper, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, he said, uh, and, and recalling Jesus' instructions, said, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He recalled all that Jesus had commanded the disciples to do, and he reminds the Corinthians of all that it represents and then he says as long as as often as you do this you are proclaiming the lord's death until he comes so as we observe the lord's supper if we do it the proper way taking the cup taking the bread remembering his body that was given his blood that was poured out to cover our sins as we do it if we do it in the proper way and in the proper spirit we are doing it in anticipation of the Lord's return, and it will not allow us to forget that one day he will return. So we have the acknowledgement by the Lord's Supper that Jesus will return. But it's also his second coming, Christ's coming, is attested to by the scriptures. There are various scriptures that talk about the second coming of Christ. Now that phrase, second coming, you're not going to find in the Bible. That was coined later uh, by Justin Martyr, but the topic of the second coming of Christ is, is mentioned several times in Scripture. There's an abundance of evidence to support that. Some have even counted a total of 318 references to the second coming of Christ, the subject of the second coming of Christ in the New Testament. If you look at concordances, you'll see that 27 uh, of, uh, that out of the 27 books of the New Testament, only four don't mention the second coming. Only four do not mention that subject, Galatians, Philemon, 2nd and 3rd John. But the authors of those books, Paul and John, do talk about it in their other writings. Paul, quite a bit, both of them mention it. And so all of the writers of the New Testament at some point cover this topic. They talk about this. Every single writer, at least once, usually more, many times, more than once mentioned this. And so what I want to do over the next few moments is just walk through several passages from the New Testament that speak of the second coming of Christ. And so you can just follow along with me and we'll read. There's going to be quite a few verses here, but we'll just read these together. Beginning in Matthew chapter 24, uh, verse 44. This is why you must also be ready. You also must be ready. 
because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He's coming at a time we don't expect. Mark, in Mark 13, verse 26, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory, power and glory. So it'll be at a time we don't expect, and it will be in great power and great glory. Luke chapter 21, verse 27, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Luke's account. Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship, Paul's talking about this, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have perspective in this life. We have hope beyond this life because our citizenship, once we're saved, is in heaven and we're waiting for Jesus to come and take us home. Colossians 3, 4, when the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. We have the promise of future glory with him because he will come, he will be revealed, and he will bring us home to take us home to be with him. 2 Timothy 4, 8, again, Paul, there is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness. He's at the end of his life looking forward to heaven, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but all those who have loved or longed for his appearing. We live in a way that shows we anticipate the return of Christ. That's what he's talking about there. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, the author of Hebrews talks about this. So also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time. Not to bear sin. He's already done that. First coming, his sacrifice. The second time he comes to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. We are saved, but salvation isn't complete until we are in heaven, until we are with Christ. I mean, it, yes, we are saved completely. If we died today, we would be in heaven. But Jesus' work of salvation, his culmination of all of that is when he brings his church home to be with him and we are all with him in heaven for all of eternity james chapter 5 verse 7 therefore brothers be patient until the lord's coming see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains just like a farmer waits for the fruit to grow we wait patiently for the return of Christ. And then 1 Peter 1 7, so that the genuineness of, our, of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes through refined fire, gold does, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation or at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So Peter talks about it. And again in 2 Peter 3 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. This is one of the most well-known verses about the second coming of Christ, or most quoted, I guess. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved in the earth, and the works on it will be disclosed. It'll come at an hour we don't know. We can't, we, it'll be suddenly, unexpected, is what Peter's telling us. And then 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. So John does talk about it in 1 John. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, not if, but when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. So he will, not, not when, not if, but when he will appear. We know that Jesus is coming. 
And we have the promise that we will be, while right now we are imperfect, even those of us who are saved, we're in the process of being sanctified, being made like Jesus. On that day, we will be as we are intended to be. We will be like him. And then Jude, verse 14. And Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about them. Look, the Lord comes with a thousand of his holy ones, looking at the Lord coming again with the armies of heaven. And then Revelation, of course, Revelation talks a lot about uh, the end times, the second coming of Christ. Chapter 1, verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, including those who pierced him. And all the families of earth will mourn over him. The last phrase there, this is certain. The Lord's second coming, Christ's second coming, is a certainty. Matter of fact, Paul, the theme of 1 Thessalonians is uh, the second coming, the return of Christ. He gives the Thessalonians hope because he talks about being reunited with those, their family, friends who had already gone on to be with the Lord. You know, I could, I could cite a lot of other references, but we're just going to say and hopefully agree that it is certain that the Bible teaches that Jesus will come again. The second coming of Christ is a certainty as far as the Bible is concerned. So if we believe the Bible, we believe that it will come, that he will come, and he will come personally, he will come visibly, we will see him, and it will be victorious. Jesus will come again. It is, the second coming is also affirmed by Jesus Christ. He himself you know, we can talk about Scripture, and we've quoted a lot of Scripture, and, and we should look at what the Bible says about the second coming of Christ. But the bottom line for me, as a follower of Christ, who believes the word of Jesus Christ, the promises of Christ, is that he himself said he was coming again. John 14, verse 3, If I go away, he said, and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself. So that where I am, you may be also. Now, Jesus has never told a lie, nor has he ever broken a promise. And so if we are to believe him, which he is trustworthy, then we can believe what he says. He himself said, I will come again. I will come and receive you. If I go to prepare a place, which he is right now, preparing a place for us, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. He will come again. He's promised it. So, if you look at all of those things, for the logical, reasonable person, it is easy to conclude that Jesus is coming back. Now, let's look at the challenges of his coming. So we have the certainty of his coming, but there are challenges that come with that. If we accept the fact that Jesus is coming again, then there are challenges for both the unbeliever and the believer, the follower of Christ, those who are unsaved and those who are saved. Now, the, the challenge for those who are unsaved is pretty clear. If you don't know Jesus, then the challenge is to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, to be prepared. And the only way you can be prepared for the second coming of Christ is to be saved. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. He was buried, and then he was raised from the dead three days later, conquering death. He offers salvation, but he won't force it on you. We don't save ourselves. We've covered all of this. We don't do anything to earn salvation. 
but we do have to accept the gift of salvation. So if you haven't accepted salvation, if you want to be prepared for what we're talking about today, then you need to accept Christ. But there are also challenges for those who have accepted Christ. And the challenge is the same to be prepared while we are prepared in the sense that we know that we're going to heaven. There are other challenges that come with that. If we really believe, if Christians really believe that Jesus is coming again, then it will change the way that we look at everything. It, for one thing, it'll solve a lot of our problems, conflict with one another. In the church today, there's conflict in many churches. And if we really believe that Jesus could come back at any moment, some of those things that we think are important wouldn't be important anymore. We would be unified. We would be looking toward that second coming and working together. Now, I'm thankful to be a part of a church family that is unified and is working together toward the future and toward reaching people for Christ. But, you know, this goes for personal relationships, too. If I am anticipating the second coming of Christ, then suddenly things in my life that I think may be a big deal aren't such a big deal. What's important is that one day Jesus is coming back. I don't know when that is, so I need to make sure I'm living my life in a way that shows I'm ready. I'm anticipating that return. Second Peter three fourteen through 18, along with our passage today, Titus 2, um, summarizes some of the challenges to the believer, to those who are in Christ. But we're going to look at Second Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, uh, the end times, the second coming of Christ, make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. Also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written according to the has written you according to the wisdom given to him, he speaks about these things in all his letters, in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. The untaught and unstable twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this is this in advance, be on your guard. We need to be on our guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So there are challenges to the Christian, and that's what Peter is, is talking about here, is the challenges to the believer as we wait for the return of Christ. And one of the challenges is to be peaceful, to be at peace with one another. Again, verse 14, make every effort to be found at peace with him. The fact that the Prince of Peace is going to return one day should encourage Christians to get along with one another. You know, Peter, Peter says that we should make every effort. That literally means to jump over fences, do whatever it takes to be at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to make peace, to be at peace, and then to be peacemakers. You know, how embarrassed would we be if Jesus were to come back and find us at odds with other believers? Uh, that, that's not the way we want to be found. And so we should make every effort. That's why Peter's saying, make every effort. Jump over fences if you have to, to be at peace with each other. So that's one of the challenges. Another challenge is to live a pure life. Verse 14, without spot or blemish, to live a pure life. 
those who expect Christ to return will live pure lives as they anticipate his return. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Titus 2, verses 12 through 13, instructing us to deny godliness, godlessness rather, and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for his blessed hope, the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to think about it this way. We are to live in a way that reflects the glory of God. I have a balloon here. The purpose of a balloon is to blow the balloon up. It can be used for decorations. It can be used to play with. I mean, once a balloon's blown up, you can have fun with it. You can bounce it around. It looks nice. It's decorative. It represents a celebration. There's a party going on. And so the balloon, if it's used properly, is is something that has a meaning. It has purpose. It is announcing something. You drive by somebody's house, they have blue balloons outside. You can pretty much guess that they've had a boy, that a baby's been born and it's a boy. If they're pink balloons, it's a girl. Um, If you're having a party, you represent that by decorating with balloons. You know, my kids, uh, they all went through a stage where they love playing with balloons. Um, Balloons are fun. They have a purpose. They represent a celebration. There's a message that's being delivered. So you have one balloon that's blown, and then I've got another balloon that's not blown up. Same color, but there's a lot of difference here, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do with this balloon. I mean, you could blow it up, but as it is, it's not serving its purpose. Not really that fun. And again, there's not a whole lot you can do, and it's hard to hide the balloon that's blown up, but it's pretty easy for me to hide this balloon. I mean, you didn't even know it was in my pocket until I pulled it out, I'm sure. So, big difference. Same type of balloon, big difference. This balloon, for our purposes, represents the person who's living a life that represents Jesus, who's living a pure life, who's living a life that's a testimony. There's a message there. There's celebration, there's joy in that person's life. This person represents someone who is a follower of Christ but isn't living the type of life that Jesus wants them to live, who's not maybe living a pure life, who's not living a living testimony of Jesus, who has hidden their faith by all appearances. But here's the thing. Jesus knows whether you're this full or whether you're empty, whether you're hiding it or not. He sees your heart. He sees your life. And even if you're, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're putting on appearances, he knows the real you. He knows your heart. So the challenge is accept Christ, but then for the believer, it's live a life that it's evident that you belong to him. Live a life that's pure. Live a life that's characterized by obedience to Jesus Christ. We want to obey Christ. We want to show that we belong to him with our lives. And in order to do that, we have to live a life of purity. So that's a challenge for believers. Be pure. Um, Be a, a representative of Christ. Live in anticipation of Christ's return. And that involves living a clean life, a life of obedience. Another challenge is to be persevering 
We are challenged to persevere in Christ. 2 Peter 3.17, going back to 2 Peter verse 17 there, of the passage I read a few moments ago. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and then fall away from your own stability. Not fall from salvation, not lose salvation, not fall from grace, but fall from stability. If I'm in Christ, if I'm living a pure life, and I'm obeying Him, I'm becoming more like Him daily, there's stability there. There's a, a, we have a firm foundation in Christ, but I'm at the center of God's will, and my life is stable. And that's what Peter's talking about. You know, since you know this in advance, be on your guard. Don't let anything draw you away from obedience, from faithfulness. Every believer, we're all prone to falter. We're all prone to make mistakes. We're all prone to fall in some way, and we will. We're going to sin. We're going to mess up. However, when this happens... One of the things that will help get us back on track is an awareness of the fact that Jesus is coming again. When, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, as believers, we want to confess that sin. We want to get right with God because we know that he could come back at any moment. We want to do it. We want to confess and be right with God because we love him and we want to know him more. But this is part of it. This plays a role in our desire to be faithful. We, we know he's coming back, and we don't want to be caught off guard. We don't want to be found living in disobedience. We want to be faithful. We want to be ready. Our desire should be that whenever Jesus returns, that he will find us working with all of our hearts and all of our abilities to serve him and to share the good news of salvation with others. The next challenge for believers is to be progressive. We want to persevere in faith, but we also want to be progressive in our faith. Verse 18 shows us what this means. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This isn't growing in terms of into grace. It's not again earning salvation. We know that's not how we're saved. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But after the new birth, just as a baby is born, you expect that baby to grow. And babies begin to grow pretty quickly. Um, Just like that, in the physical sense, our spiritual birth, once we receive the new birth, we are born into God's family, then you should expect for that person to grow spiritually. It's the same thing, except in the spiritual sense. We should grow spiritually. And so if growth isn't taking place... Just in the physical sense, you can assume, you can draw the conclusion that something wrong with a child that doesn't grow. If you have a believer that's not growing, there's something wrong. And so one of the ways that we are prepared, one of the challenges to the believer who's anticipating the return of Christ is that we progress. We grow in our faith. We become more like Jesus. And with you know, redemption, salvation behind us, opportunities to grow around us, and Christ coming in front of us, how could we do less than our best to grow? How could we not give God everything that we are and everything that we have? The secret to this is developing an attitude of expectancy, of anticipation, of always looking toward the second coming of Christ. When you look at the writer's 
of the New Testament. When you look at the disciples, they talked about the coming of Christ as if it would happen in their lifetime. Were they wrong in doing that? No, they weren't wrong in doing that because the point there wasn't that they felt like they knew when he was going to come. The point was that they were living their lives as if he could come at any moment because he could in our lifetime. He could come again at any moment. And so that should motivate us to serve God faithfully, to grow in our faith, to live in obedience, and to be close to the Lord and sharing salvation with those who need to know Christ. Some of the great men of our faith shared this uh, perspective on life. D.L. Moody, he said, I'll never preach a sermon or I never preach a sermon without thinking that possibly the Lord could come without preaching another, motivated him to preach the gospel and to share the gospel with every message. G. Campbell Morgan said, I never begin my work in the morning without thinking that perhaps he, Jesus, may interrupt my work and begin his own. He said, I'm not looking for death, I'm looking for him. He lives, he lived looking for Christ to return in his lifetime. Billy Graham once said in one of his My Answer columns that he did many years ago, he once said, I live in momentary expectation of his appearing in the end of history as we know it. He lived every day expecting Christ to return that day. And that was evident in his life. Our challenge as followers of Christ, all of this can be summed up in terms of the challenges to the believer are, are that we should live, the challenges that we should live in expectation, in anticipation of Jesus' return. We should live each day as if he were coming back today. Then we will be prepared. There are also consequences of his coming. We've looked at the challenges. We've looked at the certainty. We've looked at the challenges that come with the certainty of the second coming of Christ. Now let's look at the consequences you know, what will happen when Jesus returns? That's what I'm talking about. What, what, what are the consequences of that? Uh, well, there are two, really. Or it covers two, two areas. Uh, there are wonderful consequences. There are certainly wonderful things. I mean, the Bible tells us as believers that the second coming is our blessed hope. Uh, our only hope is not in our country. It's not in politicians. It's not in vaccines for diseases, for pandemics. That's not, I mean, those things are great, and they can provide hope momentarily, not in science. I mean, even the greatest Christian philosopher or politician or, or medical doctor or scientist, even the greatest Christian anything will tell you that, you know, all, whatever they discover, whatever they uncover, uh, whatever policy they enact, all of those things will one day be climaxed by the greatest event history has ever known, and that is the second coming of Christ. Uh, for the believer, that's our greatest hope. In terms of hope, nothing in this life can compare to the hope, the assurance that Jesus is coming again. And there are three wonderful consequences in this category of wonderful things, wonderful consequences. One, there is the resurrection of the dead. If you look at 1 Thessalonians for Paul is assuring believers, the Thessalonian believers, that, that those of their family, their friends who were dead, who were Christians and had died, that yes, one day you're going to see them again. You're gonna, there's going to be a great reunion. Jesus is going to come back, and those who are already dead, they will be raised to join Christ in the air. 
They're in paradise with him now, but there will be a resurrection where they will receive their resurrection bodies. They will be raised, and then if those of us who are alive will be joined with them. After the dead in Christ rise, we will then be joined with them and him in the air. So there's going to be a great family reunion. So we can be assured that we will one day be raised to new life in Christ. So there is the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Our promised resurrection is the ultimate victory over death for Christians. This physical body will one day be placed in the ground and will decay. But I will receive a new resurrection body and I will be alive in Christ for all of eternity. That's a great promise. Second, there's reunion with Christ. As I mentioned there, we will be caught up in the air with those who are, alive, who are dead in Christ. All of us will be reunited with each other, but we will also be reunited with Christ himself. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 talks about that. We will be with him forever. John even says in 1 John 3.2, we know when he appears we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We will be perfect in every sense of the word. Perfect in terms of our actions and our attitudes, but also perfect in our resurrection form. New bodies that we receive, whatever that's going to look like, whatever that's going to be like, we know that we will be made new and be made like him. But finally, the second coming will result in the reign of God on earth. When everything is said and done, you read through Revelation, and there's a lot that's difficult about Revelation, but one thing is clear is that when it's all said and done, Jesus Christ will reign for all of eternity. When he comes again, you know, he didn't create the universe just to fling it out into existence by itself. He is in complete control. Yes, it's affected by sin. The earth is affected by sin. Human beings are affected by sin. But, but it isn't just random happening. Even this pandemic, while God doesn't cause sickness and death, that's a result of sin, he allows everything to happen for a purpose and he does have a purpose in this and we don't know all of what that is maybe one day we will but we do know that everything that's happening on our earth and in our universe is building toward a climax and that climax is when Jesus will appear in the clouds and regardless of your position on you know uh, the millennial uh, tribulation and all of that sort of thing we know that at the end Jesus will reign for all of eternity. All of his enemies will be, will be defeated. And he will be recognized either by those who voluntarily recognize him or those who are forced to. He will be recognized as King of kings and Lord of lords for all of eternity. And so all of this, sin, death, chaos, that's not the end. That's not God's final plan. And for those of us who are looking for the second coming of Christ, we live with anticipation even in difficult circumstances. God is in control. And we know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There are wonderful things ahead, but there are also some not so wonderful things. There are woeful things ahead. You know, the tragic thing in all of this is that for some, his coming is not going to be hope. It will be a horror. It's going to be a, a difficult time. You know, for some believers, 
You know, the, the woeful thing for Christians, the woeful thing is that some won't be prepared in the sense that they won't be found faithful. And that, that's not a good thing. Uh, we should all want to be found faithful. We've talked at length about that. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about being found faithful. Knowing that, that if Jesus, like, like Paul said, I've run the race. I've finished the race. He had done everything that God had asked him to do. He wasn't perfect, but the consistent message of his life was that he was faithful. That should be all of us. We should want to be found faithful. So ask yourself, here's the question to determine whether or not you're ready. Would Jesus be pleased? How would Jesus feel if he came back right now about the way you're living your life? I mean, how would he feel about that? And the answer to that question, would it be happy? Would it be horrible? And the answer to that question will tell you if you're being faithful. But that's Christians. What about those who don't know Christ? It will be horrible on a completely different level, on an eternal level. You know, this isn't a, a hellfire and brimstone, let me scare you into heaven, that kind of thing. But the reality is it is pretty scary. Um, you know, if you don't know Christ, when he comes again, it's not going to be good. I mean, yeah, there are those, if you believe that the church will be raptured before the tribulation, regardless of what you believe there. Um, Revelation talks about that there will be people who are going to be saved during the tribulation. But don't live your life thinking that I'll just wait till Jesus comes back and then when, once I know the church is gone, I'll get saved because here's the reality. The reality is there are some, but many, many will not accept Christ. Plague after plague after plague comes in the book of Revelation and it is astonishing how people continue in their unbelief. Not only will many not accept Christ, the overwhelming majority of people will not accept Christ. When you take, for one thing, the witness of the church away, some people won't look to Jesus, won't know to look to Jesus in that sense. And they'll look to other earthly things. So don't, don't think that, hey, I'll just wait. No, no. For the overwhelming majority, they will end up in the same place that Satan and all of his followers, Scripture tells us in, that they will be cast into the lake of fire where there will be no more chances. And in the end, when Jesus defeats Satan, defeats his enemies, there will be no more chances. And I can think of no more horrible consequence than that being the end of your existence. Because in reality, it's not the end. We are eternal beings, and you will spend eternity in one of two places. You will spend eternity in heaven with Christ, where there's no sickness or suffering or death for all of eternity, worshiping him for all of eternity, or you will spend eternity separated from Christ in suffering and punishment for all of eternity. And again, that's not just to scare you, that's just reality. And I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't share that truth with you. So, Jesus could come back at any moment. We're not waiting on anything. We're just, I mean, he could, he could, Come back at any moment, literally. Before I even finish this message, he could come back at any moment. So the question is, are you prepared? The sensible thing is to make sure of your salvation first, accept Christ, to make sure your soul is prepared. But then the challenge for us as believers is to make sure that we are prepared by living a life of faithfulness, growing in our faith, growing in Christ, and then sharing the gospel. I want to close out with this illustration. I have... Uh, two bells left over from Christmas, two jingle bells. And, you know, you think about just like a balloon has a purpose, 
You blow it up, you celebrate, you play with it. A bell has a purpose. And the purpose of a bell is to ring. Right? I mean, you, know, you hear jingle bells, you think of Christmas. A bell was built to ring. And this bell does, it serves its purpose. It rings, but I've got another one that doesn't serve its purpose. There's something very important missing from this bell. It's missing the P inside that makes it ring. This one has it, this one doesn't. Well, this represents two different types of Christians. There are Christians out there who, by the way that they live, by the way that they serve, and by their words also, they ring the good news of Jesus Christ. But there are other Christians out there that to look at them, I mean, they, they look the part, they go to church, uh, they may do some good things, but their life is not making a noise for Jesus Christ. They're not sharing their faith. Overall, to look at them in their daily lives, they may come to church on Sunday, they do the Jesus thing on Sunday, but then the rest of the week they just live their lives like everybody else, and they're not making any noise. They're not ringing the good news of salvation. The good news is salvation is available through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. So for those of us, one of the greatest challenges that comes from knowing that Jesus will one day return is that our lives need to be making a lot of noise for Christ, sharing our faith with those who desperately need a Savior. So is your life making a noise? Are you ringing with the good news of Christ's return? I hope so. God has given us a responsibility to preach the gospel to the lost. And the knowledge that he could come at any moment should give us a great sense of anticipation there. We should be preaching with excitement and with great energy and anticipation of his return. We've covered a lot of doctrines. And there's a lot of head knowledge here. Ten weeks worth. There's a lot of information. But two things. Make sure you're prepared. We end with this doctrine for a reason. With the doctrine of the second coming. Because I want you, with all of what we've talked about, I want you, more than anything, to know for certain that your eternity is secure. And so if you're out there today, and I'm talking about this, and, and you, you, you've come to the realization that you're not prepared because you don't know Christ, let me invite you to accept him as Lord and Savior of your life. You can pray a simple prayer where you are, Jesus, I've sinned, I've fallen short of your glory, and I know I need forgiveness. I want to be prepared when you come again. I want to spend eternity with you. Jesus, I invite you into my life to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to save me. That's a simple prayer that you can pray, and it begins a lifelong journey. And if that's you today and you need to pray that prayer, maybe you just did, then I'm excited for you, but we want to hear from you. And you can contact our church family. You, there's going to be a slide that comes up on the screen with contact information. Our church office is now open. You can call during office hours. You can email us right now, info at wallhighway.com. You can message us on Facebook right now. There are pastors that are watching the message board right now waiting to hear from you, and we want to hear from you. But the other challenge is for believers, for those that know Christ. If you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, are you prepared? Are you living a life of faithfulness? Are you serving him faithfully? Those in this church family, Wall Highway family, let's evaluate our lives. Let's use all of this truth as an opportunity to evaluate, do we, are we practicing what we believe? 
if you're not a member of a church family, if you don't go to church anywhere, one of the, 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 one of the key ingredients to living a life of faithfulness is, to, is identifying with a church family and serving in the context of a church body. And while that looks different right now, we are still very much on mission for Christ. And so if you're interested in being a part of a church family, I, I encourage you to contact us. Use those same resources on the screen to contact us. Um, we'll be looking for, for your, your question, uh, your email, your message, and we want to talk to you about how to get involved. But the, but the thing that is absolutely for certain is that Christ wants you to know him he wants you to experience him and experience salvation, and he wants you to serve him. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Um, I encourage you to, to get in touch with us and allow us to share with you how you can fulfill that purpose. A couple other things I want to mention before we close out. You know, again, this is our time of decision, and part of what we do right now is, is, is for those of us who are followers of Christ, we know that God has called us to trust him in every area of our life, and that includes giving of our tithes and offerings. And, and this is the same as what you've seen over the past several weeks. There are a couple of options to do that. We have our online giving, um, and there's a slide up now that shows you how to do that. The link on the web to be able to do that. Um, you can also send your tithe or your offering to the church. You can mail it in. The address is up now uh, for you to be able to do that. Just make sure you write uh, the general fund reference uh, number at the bottom there. Write that in the, the, the memo section of your check. Or you can use your bank's online bill pay. Same information as what's in front of you right now. You can use that. Again, I mentioned that. Uh, so that uh, I can emphasize the point that, that this is, you know, we at Wall High, we believe this is an issue of faith for us, and we want to be faithful. Um, and while we are not meeting together, the ministry of the church continues, and we want to be faithful in this area. Um, and this is one of the ways, you know, we want to be found faithful uh, at Christ's return, and this is one of those ways we show uh, our faithfulness. I want to also mention just briefly, you know, each week I'm preparing a discussion guide that's posted along with the sermon notes for the week. And that's, that's to be used with your family. You're worshiping together at home as a family. Take that discussion guide. You can do it right after the message. You can eat lunch, come back later. But at some point uh, today, um, at some point today or tomorrow, whenever, take that discussion guide. And that just helps you uh, to take what we've learned and to apply it to your life, to, to explore how am I going to apply this. So that discussion guide is available for you. I also want to mention um, the prayer request group that we established through our flock note uh, communication system a few weeks ago. We've got the general announcement messages that go out to everybody that signed up for flock note. Well, you can also sign up for a separate group that is our prayer request group. If you want to be a part of that group that we're going to send out prayer requests and you can act actively pray for those requests, all you have to do is text WHBC pray uh, to 84 Five seven six. That's WHBC Pray to eight four five seven six. I believe that information is in front of you as well. Once you do that, you'll get a text in response to that that'll show you the steps that you can take uh, to sign up for that group. There's something interesting. One more announcement that I, I want to share with you that I'm looking forward to. Um, we're going to do something over the next uh, week or a couple of weeks. Um, we know that that God has worked in a lot of ways during this coronavirus pandemic. And I'm sure he's touched your life or you've seen him work in an incredible way in, in your life or somebody else's life. And, and I want to hear your story. Uh, we want to hear your story. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. Um, church family, 
those that aren't a part of the church family, I'm going to ask you to email if you have a testimony to share about how God has worked during this time. Specifically right now during this pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic, let me encourage you to mail, email that testimony to our secretary, Melody at wallhighway.com. Melody at wallhighway.com. Uh, email your story to her. There's going to be a, a flock note message that's sent out later today um, with instructions on how to do this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take those testimonies and, and we're going to read through those and we're going to share those in some format. Um, some may be video testimonies, some may be uh, written testimonies that we put out in our newsletter or something like that. But I think that would, it would be such a huge encouragement to everybody to see how God is working through this. And we, I can think of no better way than to hear your story. And so let me encourage you to do that, all right? Uh, just some of the ways that we're going we're gonna, to um, encourage each other and see how God is working through this. Uh, we're going to close with a time of prayer. Let me again just encourage you, if you have any questions about the church family, if you have any decisions that you, the Lord is leading you to make or you're uncertain about, you don't know what decision you need to make or how you need to respond to the message today or, or, or what we've talked about, uh, please, again, uh, contact us and let us share with you. Let, let's finish our time together with a word of prayer. Father, we come to you and thank you uh, for the blessed hope that we have in you because of salvation that you've you've offered through Jesus Christ. Jesus, your death, your burial, your resurrection, we have we have salvation, freedom from sin, freedom to serve you in this life, but we also with that have the the blessing of looking forward in anticipation of the day that you will return and receive your church. Those who have trusted you to be with you for all of eternity, we have eternity to look forward to. Eternity in heaven, where there's no sickness, no suffering, no death, only you in your presence. And perfection, as we've read today, we will be as we were intended. We will be as you are, and we will see you as you are. We have that to look forward to. With that assurance, with knowing that you are coming back, how could we do anything less than give everything that we are and everything that we have in service to you. Lord, I pray for those who are listening today who don't know you as Lord and Savior, or maybe they just prayed to receive you today, that you would lead them to contact us through one of the methods that I've mentioned so that we can share with them, we can celebrate with them the decision that they've made or share with them how to make that decision to make sure that they are secure in anticipation of your return. For the rest of us, Father, I pray that we would take all that we've learned in this series and use it to evaluate if we are living truly what we say we believe. When you come back, will we be found faithful? Lord, I pray that we will. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for the joy of knowing you and the blessed hope that we have in knowing that you will one day return. We pray all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and thank you for being with us today. Have a great afternoon.